These are words and rules written by the author of The Dresden Files and the Codex Alera, Jim Butcher. I've paraphrased a bit because originally Jim was talking about writing, but this is a message that can apply to anything. Replace butt in chair time with singing or running or researching. It's all the same. Success doesn't come from nothing. As Jim says, T-A-N-F-L, there ain't no free lunch. Those words have always inspired me and motivated me and driven me to achieve, even when my natural procrastination threatened to take control. That's why I'm here. I'm your host, Danny McGeehan, and this is the Free Lunch Podcast. I suffer from something that I'm sure most white, straight men suffer from. It's a tough life, really. Yet we carry that burden. We soldier on. I am, of course, talking about the chip on the shoulder of all middle-class Pakeha. Privilege. Heavily implied sarcasm. Truth is, I've had my tough times growing up like everyone has. I didn't do my teens easy or well, and I made a right mess of most things I was involved with or things I said or basically anything to do with me. I was a black belt at the martial art of burning my bridges. I also struggled with the uncomfortable realization that I was really freaking privileged. Middle class, I never struggled for much. White, male, straight, and well-fed. Maybe too well-fed. I get a few points on the privilege scale for my parents being divorced, but that doesn't really make up for the shocking amount of things that I took for granted. I recognize that there's privilege. I recognize I have that privilege. And there is something about the people who lack that privilege, who still achieve, that really inspires me and should inspire everyone, I think. There are people who are dealt the worst hand in life, who power on regardless. Thus, I clumsily segue into the subject of episode two. This is a story. It's a story told like a story because it's a great story about a great man who gazed misfortune and suffering in the face and told them to get bent. This is the inspirational story of Steve. Steve began his life as most people do. He was born. He was born in war, 1942, Oxford, to a bloke named Frank and a doting mother, Isabel. Izzy. Steve's family weren't exactly rich, but that hadn't stopped both his parents from attending Oxford. This set a deep precedent for the young Steve, one of education. Remember Steve, when you go to university, choose Oxford. I won't have a Cambridge soy boy in my house. Unfortunately for family expectations, Steve struggled at school. For the first three years of his education in London, he failed to learn how to read. Steve blamed it on progressive teaching methods. He was outspoken like that. While Steve wasn't the best at everything, he tended to overachieve when he was able. After passing the 11 plus at the age of 10, Steve remained at his school for several years. To pass the time during his young teenage schooling, Steve played board games, manufactured fireworks, and built model airplanes. You know, the usual. But above all, he debated. If God isn't real, Steve, then what created the universe? It can't be some giant coincidence. 
To Steve, that's exactly what it was. A coincidence governed by a universal equation. And Steve wanted to find that equation. And he wanted to solve that equation. While not initially successful at school, Steve eventually found a passion for the sciences and mathematics. As the end of his college years loomed, Steve turned his attention to the future, to university. As I've said, no boy of mine will study at Cambridge, to Oxford with you. And no bloody mathematics, you'll be a doctor. There aren't any jobs for mathematicians. Steve wanted to please his father, so he found a middle ground. He was granted a scholarship to Oxford at 17 and chose chemistry and physics. Chemistry was a kind of medicine, right? Steve was good at university. Too good. Due to his pale complexion and large, thick glasses, he was dubbed Einstein by the boys at his old school, but he truly fell into the moniker at university. He found his work ridiculously easy, and he was seen by several tutors as an unwilling, even thick-headed student. And he was. It was only necessary for him to know that something could be done, and he could do it without looking to see how other people did it. For Steve, outside praise wasn't at the top of his priority list. While lonely and bored, young Steve craved something he had for years. The question. He craved knowledge. He also craved companionship. Steve was brilliant, but he was still human. Over the next couple of years at Oxford, while studying, he became an absolute lad. He was popular, lively, witty, and kind of strange. Enough to be interesting, not creepy. He'd listen to classical music, read science fiction, and coxed a rowing crew. Steve began to slip in his studies, however. He studied a mere 1,000 hours over three years, and I spend more time than that eating within a single year. It wasn't that he couldn't do it, he just couldn't be stuffed. This made his finals a challenge, leaving him stranded between first-class honours, which is what he wanted, and second-class honours, which was below him, leaving it up to an interview. He was also unpopular with many of the faculty due to his apparently lazy demeanour. He used that to his advantage. I remember exactly what he said. The ball's on him. If you award me first-class honours, I will go to Cambridge. If I receive seconds, I'll stay here, so I'll think you'll give me the firsts. It worked. The examiners, while in doubt over his demeanor and his attitude, realized something important during the interview. Important and shocking, especially to the nominal British professor. It was so obvious. We were speaking with a boy that was far more intelligent than any of us would ever be. He received a first-class BA degree in natural science, and with a swing in his step and an exasperated sigh from his dear old dad, he headed off to Cambridge to study his doctorate. And that's when the story shifted. A cloud loomed. Back in a few. Dear Mr. Hawking, Re, your test results. Stephen, we regret to inform you that the results of your test have returned and we fear the news is not good. Quite simply, you have what we in the field call Lou Gehrig's disease, motor neuron disease, or simply ALS. This explains your issues with coordination, limb pains, and slurring speech. Now we can discuss treatment methods, but I fear you have a limited stock of time in the future. ALS, a disease that causes the death of neurons controlling voluntary muscles. Early on, it causes difficulty with coordination, walking, and slurred speech. It progresses differently for everyone. In the end, however, the result is the same. Total paralysis. A slow, painful death. And this is what faced a young, devastated Stephen Hawking. Depressed, increasingly unable to move and coordinate himself, and facing pain and humiliation for years to come. 
The doctors originally gave him two months to live. I don't always talk about notable deaths on this show, but I feel like it would be a disservice if we did not mention that Stephen Hawking has died at the age of 76. By any measure, Stephen Hawking's life was incredible, even more so because in the 1960s, he was diagnosed with ALS or motor neurone disease and given just a few years to live. This rare form of motor neuron disease left him virtually paralyzed, unable to express his profound vision of humanity and science without a voice synthesizer. The world loses one of its greatest minds and most famous scientists. Stephen Hawking has died. Yeah, the physicist was 76 years old. He died on March 14th this year at the age of 76. During his life, Professor Hawking penned a number of books, got married twice, fathered three kids, and advanced the study of astronomy and theoretical physics for decades to come, maybe even centuries. Oh, and that ballsy lad who coxed a rowing team, hit the pub with his mates and gave less than half a shit what everyone else thought of him? He stuck around. Until the day of his death, Stephen Hawking was known to have a wicked sense of humor, a heart bursting with kindness, and a mind that defies explanation. That's who Stephen Hawking was. He never let the shit hand that life dealt him destroy him. He lost total control of his body, lost his ability to speak, and suffered the humiliation of being a huge personality caged within his own failing body. I know jack shit about maths, physics, or how black holes work. I'm as likely to understand the theory of relativity as I am to leap naked from the Chrysler building singing Sade's greatest hits. But I am freaking inspired when I look at Stephen Hawking. Researching this episode was emotional. It got my blood pumping in a way that hasn't happened in a while. For all of my privilege and for all of my laziness, knowing that a man like Stephen Hawking once lived on this earth fills me with so much hope, passion, and a desire to forge ahead with what I'm doing. As it should for everyone. Everyone should be inspired by a man like Stephen Hawking. Everyone should remember him for that, because I'm not going to forget him. At one point, I thought I would see the end of physics, as we know it. But now I think the wonder of discovery will continue long after I am gone. Thank you to Professor Hawking for being an inspiration to all. I think it's pretty obvious that this episode is dedicated to the eponymous Steve. But here it is again. I dedicate this episode to Stephen Hawking. And anyone who suffers in the way that he does. Kia kaha, as we say in New Zealand. Stay strong. Subscribe to me on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Leave a rating and a review, and hit me up on Twitter at DanJRadio. As always, thank you to my listeners for joining me on this adventure. Keep being great. Music